0: Hello, welcome to Pop-Up Submissions Live. I'm glad you can join us, because I think you're going to like what we've got for you this week. For a start, we've got one of our most popular guests for you. It's Tiffany Yates-Martin. And yes, there is no verb in that sentence. Uh, But that's only the beginning, because we've also got at a very, very, very last-minute call, actually. There are the wonderful Matt Scarfield... Thank you so much, Matt. You stepped into the breach. Literally, it was a second to spare because our other guests had tech problems. So good to see you again. Yeah. Um, I'm just waiting for you to scroll up. Okay, so let me give you early warning about next month's book club. The selection is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn. Is that Evelyn? Or is it Evelyn? Hugo by taylor jenkins read it's riveting it's heart-wrenching and it's full of old hollywood glamour according to buzz uh, buzzfeed yeah well if that sounds like your cup of tea why don't you curl up and discuss it with your friends from latopia um get ahead of the game now grab a copy and i will give you the exact date of the book club meeting um probably next week i know it's going to be a sunday in march immediately after pop-ups And as always, you can find out more about today's narrators at voice.litopia.com. Here we go, straight into submission number one. And it's from Flora. What an interesting name. It's from Flora. It's upmarket book club historical fiction. And it's called The Cuckoo and the playing piece. playing piece? What's that? Let me read you the verb. Cunebora, seventh century daughter of a pagan king, accepts a loveless political marriage to the Christian son of a rival king. Unwilling to relinquish her old gods, she must find her own path if she's to survive when peace fails. 300 years later, Carew, A widow repairs the pall from St. Cuneberg's church shrine and watches for the saint's ghostly presence. But Carew has her own ghosts. And just as Cuneberg's story has twisted from the truth, so the stories of Carew's past will twist into a deadly trap. So let me tell you about our author, Flora. Right, note that name, Flora. Uh, By day, Flora says, I'm a scientist with a PhD in physics. I have worked in theoretical chemistry, astronomy, and now medical statistics. But I'm also an avid reader with a lifelong interest in early medieval history, Uh, reenactment and experimental archaeology. The Cuckoo and the Playing Piece, a dual-time novel. Oh, it's time slip. I love time slip. Uh, Based on the stories of two Real medieval women, one remembered as a saint, one drowned as a witch. Uh, it's my first complete novel. Earlier edits were long listed for the 2022 Mislexia Novel Prize and the Bath Novel Award. And I've benefited in the editing phase by mentoring from an established author. When I'm not working, uh, writing, or recreating the 10th century, <laughs> uh, you can find me at home with my two cats. That's very important because all the best writers do have cats. Hemingway had a cat, didn't he? Um, I think the Bronte's had a cat too, actually. Yeah, I think so. I uh, didn't. Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah, something like that. Um, and you say, as, a, as an afterthought after here, Flora Feeson is an anagram. All right. <laughs> so that's a challenge for the, uh, the genius room. Um, hopefully, it won't distract them from uh, watching and listening, particularly to this excellent submission and reading from Jeff.
1: Cuckoo and the Playing Piece by Flora Fison, read by Jeff. One Ice, January 924. The first time she drowns, sky is dark, Miss Darling's. They spin and swirl and weep pictures against the winter sunset, a tight ball, whist of smoke, a writhing serpent, and back to a tight ball again. The child clasps her little brother's hand and watches the murmuration from the causeway. Frosted reeds tower above her like trees. Someone shouts. The child scrambles down the bank and pushes through the reeds, dragging her little brother behind her. Fragile needles of ice drop from the seed heads as they pass. Another shout, more urgent this time. She ignores it, her little brother tugs at her hand but she still keeps a tight hold of him. They are standing at the edge of a frozen flood that stretches to the flat horizon. Over there, beyond the ice, beneath the shape shifting flock are the marshes of the wild fen. She is both frightened and fascinated by the fen. Strange men live there, quite independent proud men, fowlers and fishermen. She can see one of their huts on the horizon, a smudge of smoke tiny figures moving on the shore. The Derry Maid whisper that monsters stalk those marshes and the water elves and the demonic Necoras lurk in the peat dark pools. It is a world of myth and magic. For as many of her seven years as she can remember, that world has been inaccessible. In the long ago summer, the ever-changing river channels blocked the way. Most recently, the river splits over the fen pastures and join the isolated mirrors and channels into one wide, unacrossable sea. But now there is an ice bridge. A third shout from the causeway, she glances over her shoulder, caught between adventure and caution. At her side, little brother cries for home, but the starlings are sweeping overhead and she is engulfed by the rushing of 10,000 wings. She scoops up her little brother and steps onto the ice. 2. Coonaburra, Mercia, Slosmouth, 653 I was accustomed to being watched. Everywhere we went as the royal household rose through Mercia, people turned to see the favoured daughter of the king. I punished their presumption by staring back. I held their gaze until they coloured and looked away, measuring the length of their stares and the beats of my pulse. Most stares only lasted a few heartbeats. Countless eyes I looked into on those long processions and countless faces briefly seen and soon forgotten, all except for one beggar woman's. Her gaze haunts me still. We passed her early on the day we reached Timberworthy. It was the end of my fourteenth year and I was with my mother's household, riding to the royal centre for the winter settle. Mist was rising from the frosty grass and the air was bright with sun. Around me, the procession hummed with excitement, joy at returning home, anxiety about what we might learn. Three months earlier, my father, Pender, King of Mercia, had led his warriors north into the battle against the Northumbrian kingdom of Bernicia. When we arrived home, we would learn which warriors had survived the Norman campaign and which had not. Every rider in our procession cared about someone in the warband, a brother or father a son or a lover. I had no concerns for my father. Outriders already brought news of his victory against the Northumbrians. My thoughts were with Dunstan. A young warrior on his first campaign. Before he rode north, Dunstan had slipped half Roman coin into my hand and whispered that he would carry the other half into battle. I had stolen an illicit kiss amidst the chaos of departure and promised to keep my half safe. It hung inside my shift, cool, Against my breast. I was imagining my reunion with Dunstan when I saw the beggar. She was standing barefoot in the frost, as still and silent as the trees. She had no cloak against the cold, just a thin and ragged tunic, and she clutched a dirty bundle to her chest. Her face was grey and haggard, her hair hung limp around her shoulders, but her dark eyes
0: pierced me the core Okay, someone's barking. I told you. I thought it was a sound effect. <laughs> what, what are you, yeah, okay. So that's oh, Tiffany. Oh, I'm
2: hoping my mic baffled that. <laughs> is that
0: the, is that the submission of the major bark, Tiffany? Oh, or, or, <laughs> what's going on here?
2: That's enthusiasm. She's
0: not. Isn't the, she's enthusiastic. That's very good. Uh, let's see if the genius room are equally enthusiastic. Uh, let's kick off with Annie. Um, ooh, call submission from YouTube Zero. Thank you very much. Very polished. Praise is great. Writer can write. Yeah, no question. I agree. Annie says interesting title, maybe a little clunky. Alex says title's got my attention. Ellie Thomas, interesting title. Everyone likes the title. I think it is a little clunky actually. The playing piece. I'm just. I'm just. I'm still thinking about that. Does it stick in my mind? I'm not sure. I think it makes me question. I'm not sure it actually stays there. Um, Pamela Joe likes title and blurb. Sounds like a good old-fashioned epic read. Yeah. And Jeff's come in, of course, a narrator, so I want to know what Jeff thinks of it at the moment. Barbara. Not sure about giving protagonist a name that's difficult to pronounce. And that's the thing, actually. I mean, I, ha- I was looking very hard at my notes here. Because Flora, for I shall call you that, Flora, um, you were very, you did exactly what we asked you to do. Um, for anything that's difficult to pronounce, please give us, um, you know, a pronunciation note. And you did do. Um, but even even though I've got it written down here phonetically, I still found it quite hard. Cunebura. And honestly, I just wonder whether, you know, readers are going to go through that each time they, they read the protagonist's name. Uh, intriguing title, says Johnny. I could see that in a bookshop. Carol, kind of like the title. What's a playing piece? Yes, I'm wondering that um blurb uh, sorry about smacking my lips <laughs> i'll do that when i think hard uh blurb needs a wee bit of a trim says uh, james vagabond says names are tricky and it sounds interesting if a bit convoluted blurb could be trimmed a bit i love time slip too says johnny it sounds fascinating says claire so everyone's well disposed towards this actually initially um which is uh, good news for you flora um blurb intrigues eva says sounds more like fantasy than good old historical fiction might be a bit of that. Time to the Bottom does have a bit of fantasy. Um, Palma Joe, uh, I'm long-listed as well. <laughs> Not to be left out. That's great. I'm delighted you are for the mislexia YA. That's brilliant. Uh, fab line to open, says Johnny. Um, great opener, says L.A. Thomas. Um, bit put off, says Palma Joe because there are no names here. Pronouns don't do justice. Need a character's name, says James. Unable to engage with characters, says Eva. Sums it up. Um, and Johnny agrees. Opening line was standout. Mel, voice got me. Then we lapsed into telling. Was a lot of that, wasn't there? Uh, my internet died, says Annie. Going to try and catch up. You <laughs> better. Um, Claire, great opening. Some fab pros, but it seemed to jump around a bit, and I started to drift. And Mel says, barking mad. Talking about me, clearly. Um, (laughs) uh, Would Game Piece be better? Lex is mulling the title over the moment. And um, Claire says, sorry, I've just voted for entry five by accident. Don't worry, I can can cancel that out. I will do um, in a minute. There are medieval names, says Pamela, that are easier to pronounce. Might be better to not stick to history here. And I, I agree with that um good all right so is the author called sean says i times i wonder actually it's possible it's quite possible let's get first reactions from the fabulous tiffany
2: hi i loved all of those comments um so i agreed with a whole bunch of them i want to start sort of with the title briefly i at first the cuckoo i like Liked that a lot. It has some connotations. Playing piece was a little more vague, and it lost me. Somebody said the game piece that already gives us a little more connotation because a game is mm. something that creates some kind of a question or tension. Mm. Um, but I'd be even more specific if you're talking chess, name the piece. But other than that, I liked it. I really wrestled with a three or a four for the title. Um, I'm going to skip on over to the the submission itself because a lot of people said good stuff about the blurb. I thought mm. that the The bang was fantastic in both these chapters. They do have a great first opening hook. And then in both cases, we kind of drifted away from the promise of that hook. Um, it was really beautiful prose. I, I think I gave a five to the oh, craft. Sure. Did I write? Mm. Yeah. You did. Yeah. Five, sorry, a hundred yeah. whatevs. Yeah. Um, yes. So I thought that the the writing itself is fantastic, but there was a lot of tell. We got into some world building and scene setting, whereas you you hooked us with those opening lines. So reel us in, you know, keep mm. us going and get the action moving. I think that was my main probably piece of feedback was that this felt a little after that great active opening line, it then felt a little Quiet, and I wanted mm. to see more of that action carried out in the submission itself.
0: Yeah, uh, great analysis. Wow, I think we're all of a mind on this so far, actually. Um, mm. And YouTube CJ has just said beautiful writing. Not sure about the title. Hard to engage with jumping narrative. Yeah, I think everyone's saying the same thing actually, which is good for you, actually, Flora, because you're getting um, coherent advice as you always do from the genius room. Um, it could be Sean says La Thomas. All right, they are. I knew they would you set them a challenge there. I don't know if you should have done it immediately before the submissions are read. but they will work out your name in due course. There's no question about that because they're geniuses. Let's see what Matt says.
3: Um, I actually, I in the notes I've written down, I wrote down great opening line and then the next word is confusion. And <laughs> I got the sense that there was a really great story here that, we weren't being let in on fully. And I really wanted to know the story. Um, I just, I I found myself thinking, okay, she's already drowned. And now this little girl's looking for her. And who's the, and the pronoun is confusing. That's how I know. Obviously the little girl's about to drown, but, and that takes my out of the story. I'm not, Mm. I'm not following along Mm. with that. Um, The title is interesting, but, you know, there's probably reason to think about um we had um Cheatham at um the publishing house was talking yeah. about this a couple of weeks ago and he said he kept criticizing titles that were longer than like eight letters right yeah um and you needed to fit on the front cover That's are, you right. know you to, and so if you're gonna go for a 25 word um uh, title it really has to be exceptional and I didn't find this to be exceptional um the cuckoo's nest the the cuckoo's egg i have i've done these we've seen these titles before and this doesn't scream unique to me so i would play around with it a bit there's i I didn't i mean i i I went right the middle of the road on the title but i as good as some of the other stuff was i thought i would would go else um bigger and the bang i didn't go as high as Tiffany did, just because I wasn't really – I liked – I believe there's a hell of a story there. I just didn't know that I knew what it was by the end yeah. of the submission.
0: Yeah. So, uh, talk about long titles, of course. Uh, book Club, which is what we're having Too this time. It's got a long title. <laughs> the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Uh, yeah. and it's done all right. But you, you can see that, actually. I mean, books are always kind of that shape, aren't they? If they're physical or e-books, mm-hmm. actually. And you can see that um, – yeah, you don't have room for a lot else there apart from um, you know, Sunday Times bestseller and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah.
3: Uh, let's look at your. And you, no, no. On that book, you've also, you can see that her next book is just, the title's just as long, and yes. all the titles in her women's trilogy are just as long. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. People are kind of expect it <laughs> from, from the author, I yeah. guess. Yeah. All right. Back to the Genius stream What else are we saying? Yeah. Um, it is the first entry, Monsieur Dupré. Dupl- Dupl- Don't worry about it. Nailed it, Matt, says Vagabond. Yeah. Um, I would just want to ask everyone here uh, about this time slip thing, which I, I love and, and Tiffany loves too. Um, I've done very well, actually, with time slip by authors. So what we seem to have here, and I just just want to sort of, this is a question. It's not a comment, really, it's a question. Right? So we're seeming to get into the story of the person who's further back in time, who I'm going to have to look at my notes again for pronunciation, um, Cunaburra. And I I wrote a bit academic, actually, because I just think, you know, if I have to look at my notes each time the protagonist's name, one one of the two protagonist's name is is mentioned, I mean, how easy is that going to be to read? Um, And it just just makes me feel I'm going to be tested on it later. Ah! Um, So we've got the sort of first protagonist, who's introduced first of all, and we're going to hear their story, and then we go to the, the, the more recent one, still not very recent. It's 300 years later. So I'm just wondering, if, is that the right order of, of, of things, or would you normally expect, Tiffany, in time slip... To uh, what's Matt's love? Is the genius.
3: You will have to see No, doing I'm trying to get my no, I'm trying to get my face in the frame, and I'm doing a right. very bad
0: job. <laughs> it's, Matt, like- it's very big, altogether yeah. <laughs> <laughs> larger than life. Matt, <laughs> I'm trying to have a serious conversation here. Um, <laughs> so is, is that each thing that's the right order? Tiffany, <laughs> or should we just look at Matt's I, so big face for a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> He's hypnotizing us. He's like, He's animal, be, "It is hypnotic. Like that animal
2: um, So with openings like that, I tend to give the author the benefit of the doubt as long as they're holding my interest, because I think it creates an immediate question as to how those two timelines reate, relate mm. that already gives you one little hook for readers. I will say if we don't start to see, probably within the first few chapters, how these two timelines could be related, it may start to feel like two discrete stories, and readers may have a hard time figuring out why
0: they're both in the same book. Yeah. Perfect. Great. You're good at this, damn it! You're good! Thanks! Thanks. Like I've done it a little. uh, Mr. (laughs) Juppé says, Matt's drifting. Johnny says, I'm feeling drunk now. And Mel says, Matt's motto, <laughs> go big or go home. <laughs> Masoud, your wants you to trim your nose hairs, Matt, but we're getting a little personal now. <laughs> it's anarchy in here today. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Uh, let's see what numbers you got there, Flora. Oh, that's pretty good, actually. A good start to show, I think. You should be pleased with that. And you should I think you should be particularly pleased with this sentiment analysis live sentiment analysis you're a scientist you'll appreciate that that we've just given you from uh, the junior room good good start submission number two today remember it's the last show of the month actually so we will have a monthly winner i'll bring up to speed with the numbers so far in the month after the submission from william It's historical fiction, alternate history, and I like that too actually, I'm pushing all my buttons today, and it's called by the thinnest of margins. And this is William's blurb. The story will appeal to fans of unconventional, is it a blurb? Unconventional female characters fighting for survival and purpose during wartime, plus those intrigued by what if alternate history twists think the Alice Network meets the man in the high castle. I like that, good concept where historical divergences create both terrifying societal ramifications as well as opportunities for social justice. I'm trying to get my head around that, but I I think I just about can, but uh, my brain is expanding. It'll soon be as big as Matt's. Against the backdrop of World War II, now being waged on American soil, two young women fight enemies, foreign, domestic, internal and external. Are you now? Have you ever been... Let me tell you. I've been published in multiple industry trade journals during a 30-year career leading marketing and communications teams at both global and local organizations. I'm now writing full-time while serving as a grateful house dad, uh, living in Charlotte, uh, NC, USA with my wife and 9-year-old daughter. Group memberships include Pitch to Published and the Historical Novel Society. That's very impressive. Even more impressive, I think, will be this reading from Ali.
4: By the thinnest of margins, by William, read by Allison. One. Twelve inches. The first domino falls. Bullet the Blue Sky by U2. Miami, Florida, USA. February fifteenth, nineteen thirty-three, nine twenty PM. Microseconds was all it took to radically alter the course of history for 90% of planet Earth's 2 billion inhabitants. The confluence of location, gunman, target, weapon, aim, gunpowder propellant, projectile, lateral movement, trajectory, arc and horizontal line had tragically aligned. The result sealed the fate of a nation's leader and set the globe on a tragically darker path. As the target turned the first shot hit him in the upper left chest nicking the top of his pulmonary artery before exiting through the left shoulder a second earlier or later the slug's trajectory would have plowed into his right shoulder delivering painful but non-fatal injuries perhaps broken bones shredded muscle or at worst a collapsed lung 15 minutes earlier Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, pondered what lay ahead as his motorcade eased through the gentle evening breezes in Miami, Florida. A pair of enormous mandates had been thrust upon him after winning the American presidential election of 1932 just weeks earlier. To pull the US out of the depression and to keep America out of another global conflict, the domestic issues would take immediate priority. But staving off war in Europe could become the greatest long-term challenge under the right conditions. The recent rise to power of Adolf Hitler in Germany through the brutal tactics of the Nazi party has sent a chill through FDR as he recalled the predictions of the 16th century mystic Nostradamus. From the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realms of the East beast ferocious with hunger will cross the rivers. The greater part of the battlefield will be against Hister. Into a cage of iron will the Great One be drawn, when the child of Germany serves nothing. Roosevelt was not sure why the cryptic forecast had worked its way front and centre in his mind as he gazed up at the lazily swaying palm trees. Hister, Adolf Hitler? The child of Germany? Leading the beasts? And who was the Great One? Britain? America? Himself? Hitler's hatred of Bolshevism to the East in Russia? Cage of iron? Ships? Tanks? Observes nothing? Ruling by force, not law? Any references to the 16th century prognostications as a guide for managing future world affairs would be kept firmly locked away in Roosevelt's mind. His first priority in advance of the inauguration had to be rest, FDR had elected to take a vacation in the Caribbean aboard a wealthy friend's yacht, one final stop awaited in Miami before motoring off to the gentle breezes of the West Indies, far away from the cauldron of domestic politics and international affairs. As a small motorcade rolled into Bayfront Park, Giuseppe Zangara craned his neck to see the approaching train of vehicles. His seat in the second row would ensure Zangara had a close view of the president-elect. Small in stature at only 5 foot 1 inches tall, he nonetheless had big plans for this evening. Sangara was an Italian immigrant and loner who suffered from constant pain in his abdomen, beginning at a young age. In 1926, he underwent an appendectomy, which was of little help. Giuseppe felt the operation actually made his condition worse. The pain served as constant fuel for his growing fits of rage. Without a formal education or a lucky break, he was not able to find steady work. The combination of frequent joblessness and constant physical pain had started Zangara down a very dark path. He eventually moved to Miami, hoping a warm weather location would improve both his health and job prospects. When neither plan worked out, he sought to pin blame elsewhere. Zangara's bubbling, seething rage quickly locked onto a new target after FDR won the 1932 presidential election, when news had broken that FDR would be speaking in Miami, Zangara knew he must be there. He then went out and bought a .32 caliber pistol.
0: Okay. Um, research gone into this is palpable. So zero, but I've started to lose interest a bit now. I don't think uh, Zero is alone in that. Let's have a look at the Genie Um Eva says, only the last two sentences is a blurb, which is true. Um, Vagon, where's the unique part of the story? Build your blurb around that. Title suggests a spoiler, says L.A. LA Thomas. And James points out that there is a, uh, a video I, I did on blurbs, actually, inside colony. Have a look at it. Um so Eva's intrigued by the title. Uh, why has the chap got two titles, says Vagabond? And Carol says Blurb feels more query letter than Blurb. Maybe need more plot details. I think the title could be better without the By Thee, says Mr. Dupre. Doesn't grab Pamela. The title doesn't. Um, LA says this is about the the, uh, the writing itself. Now, this is jumping about too much for me. Let me get grounded. Uh, John says, "Small point, but putting the U2 quite next to the date in 33 took me down the wrong road." Separate page. Yes, I was. I I spent way too much time thinking about that actually. Um my only history lesson? Says Vagabond. I was engaged uh, till that 15 minutes earlier. Says Annie. Why pull us away from the action? And Mel says, "Sorry, but what's with the history lesson?" Snore. Okay, so William, you're going to get straight reactions here. Always very supportive as the genius stream, but they got to tell the truth. And this is, you know, you're just getting, you're getting a slice through their brains at that particular stage in your manuscript, which I hope um, is is worth having for you. Don't need both gunpowder and propellant, says Monsieur Dupré. One is enough, as it would be. Alternate history, says uh, John, John Battelle. It's usually more fun when you see the consequences rather than being told what caused the alternate timeline. yeah. I think you're right on that. Jeff says, I'm getting confused. Where are we heading? Too much background. Jan says, I-, I might begin with that bit about the beasts and then a more active FDR. Just jump right in the action. Um, I hate to say it, says Annie, but I'm bored. And that is the word that several other people have, have used. Um, feels like the first chapter was half a prologue, cut short, says LA. Um, and Mal says, absolutely confused about who's talking. E.G. Logan. Zangara's backstory could be a flashback. Uh, for later, and Alex has just said, as is, this is for Cardcore, I think hardcore that would be, or maybe cardcore is a new word. Uh, I've just invented a neologism here. Live on air, you've seen it first on YouTube. History buffs for a broader audience think Doctor Who. Um, give just enough details for settings worked into the active story. Find the diamond in the rough. Yeah, and find a peace frontier. I think the idea of assassinating FDR and the alternate impact on history is a good one. I think so too. However, I suggest the author starts with the assassination of FDR. Yeah, it's a big setup. And the panic and reaction around the killing. Start with the action. What do you think? Our own action man? Matt.
3: Um well the big head says yeah. that um <laughs> My notes were the 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 blurb is is not a blurb, as has been noted. Um, And uh, the U2 um, reference is going to confuse a lot of readers. I don't really see the point in that. If you're going to go with um, a reference, it has to be immediately recognizable. Um, And that wasn't. I I didn't know what the hell he was talking about for a while. It it stuck me on it as well. the backstory. I felt the what popped into my mind. Just it's not an exact parallel, but what popped into my mind is that that um, line in The Incredibles, where um, the the villain says, "Hey, you got me monologuing," and I just felt <laughs> like I was being um, <laughs> uh, that the author was just telling you know lecturing me at one point, give me a little a little alternate history lesson. Um, Zangara, the character. It's an it's interesting that he picks up a gun but I mean the moment we care about him is when he shoots um, FDR if that's where we're headed maybe he's just going to shoot everyone else but um, start there I don't see the point of showing you know we don't need to know what he had for breakfast, for instance. We don't need to. We don't need to know the details that lead all the details mm. that lead up to that at this point. What we know want to know is what exactly is happening, and give us what's unique about mm. this, and let us see it up front. Yeah. And we didn't see that up front very quickly. So that's the joy that, of, those of, are of my,
0: alternate history, isn't it? Really, is is the uh, yeah. the, the setup. The setup is big and, and bold, and it get, it gets us going. Oh God, what you know? What if? What if? What if?
3: Um, Right. And one technical thing I would suggest, when you, when you rely, when your plot, when your story relies very heavily on the the timestamps, the date stamps on top of your chapter, these things don't work on Kindle at all. Don't they? Because you have to, you have to flip, you have to physically flip back through a number of pages. And if say you Mm. are, have a huge head and bad eyesight, um, or bad short, you know, um, (laughs) <laughs> and you, you end up flipping through seventy-five um, pages to, to get because you know you have three words per page, and so you're just flipping back after page after page after page. Yeah. And you go, you know, it, it doesn't work uh, mm. in the same way that footnotes are kind of annoying in Kindle timestamps yeah. don't work because you, you have to write down the timestamp while you're reading, mm. and nobody's going to do that. So it's so if it's going to rely totally on it, yeah. it's problematic. Yeah,
0: yeah that's very good um a better unemployed italian assassinates fdr right yes i think i think that's a basic idea actually um tiffany uh, first off i apologize matt just gave me
2: the giggles so i apologize if i oh, descend into them during that um, <laughs> i just had <laughs> got even better that We'll find out that just hit my funny bone real hard. <laughs> so I don't want to go into the blurb because everybody else has said what I think are really great comments about it. But what I do yeah. want to point out about the blurb that I felt held through this whole submission was the blurb was a little bit general and yeah. kind of vague. And I felt this submission was in some key ways as well. We get a lot of tell about history that, for example, in the first part, this sort of big, long view, omniscient voice, I'm not sure that really serves the story as well as it could, even though this is like a really I see this a lot, start with a bang, right? In Medius Rest. So we're starting with, oh my God, look what this alternative history is when somebody gets killed and it changes the course of the world. But you're just telling us that. We don't yet know even who you're talking about. And so it feels distant from us. And I always say readers don't care what's happening until we care who it's happening to. So until we know who these players are, we're not going to take the author's word for the fact that this changed the course of history. Let us see it. I love the ideas of starting on the action. I thought also both these other bits with FDR and is it Zangara? Yeah. Um, They both started on a lot of tell, as a couple of people pointed out. Zangara's section started with tell of backstory, which is pretty much like a slap, slap, back, back and forth. And so we're not really jumping into what is propelling the story forward. You have these great setups built in with FDR um, wrestling with an inherent conflict in all these pressing mandates he has and the incredibly fraught state of the country he just took on against the doctor's need for him to rest. That's a terrific conflict. Exploit that more. And then we've got Zangara sitting there ready to commit an assassination, but then we back up and talk about his intestinal issues. So you've got the meat here. Let's start where the meat is and don't worry about bringing us up to speed. We don't need that.
0: Yes, good. Okay, so I've worked out uh, what Tevin's funny bone is.
2: <laughs> Huge heads and also, can I be twelve? <laughs> when the story started, and it said twelve inches. I was like, Do
0: we, I know, we <laughs> I know. Yes, oh, It wasn't just me. Not I thought really it was just mind. my foul mind. Okay, no. good. If we're going no, to start there. We really
3: should start there.
0: I feel normal <laughs> suddenly. uh <laughs> PC <laughs> frontier. No,
3: this is.
2: New watchers, just so you know, we are normally much more organized than this and disciplined.
0: <laughs> She's lying. Uh, PC Frontier says, I think the idea of assassinating FDR and the alternative impact on history is a good one. I agree. It's a, it's a big, juicy idea, isn't it? It's something to get your teeth into, definitely. Mm-hmm. However, says PC, I suggest the author starts with the assassination of FDR. There we go. So what we've we all been saying. And the panic and reaction around the killing. Start with the action. Um, and Pamela Jo says, but nothing the writer's written is wrong. It's just the draft you write for yourself to find the story. I think that's so true, actually. I think that's absolutely right. And I'm sure Tiffany sees that a lot. Um, I, I, yeah, and I, I, just, I, I, I wrote down variant on the theme, really got to sell it. I didn't didn't feel you sold it. You selling it to yourself, but you couldn't sell it to me, you know. It's interesting how authors do sell things. Big, big ideas like that. Just to, they smack you in the face. Smack you in the face. And... Um, it works. It works. Uh, funny, Matt mentions huge head and ex- his example, says Mr. Dupre. I find that very strange too, actually, yes. And, uh, and he suddenly says, oh, dear. <laughs> right, okay. Right, and he says, oh, dear, that's time to move on. Let's look at the numbers. You got a 53, William, and you've also got some very good advice, actually. So I hope you're happy with that. What I'm going to do now, though, is I think we should see the state of affairs... Um, Oh god. I don't I don't know which button to press. I've I got I don't think I've got the button displayed here now. I'm so sorry. I'll work that out in a minute. I'll work it out in a minute, I promise. Here you go. Submission of number three today. Oh, end of the month, guys. Um here we go. Ariadna! RG, I was drawing a discreet veil there again. That's our first author did The Old True Identity. That's all right. Psychological thriller, The Look in Her Eyes. This is Ariadne's blurb, short and sweet. The Look in Her Eyes tells the story of a filthy, rich and unstable man who falls in love with a refugee, unaware that their relationship is tied to his criminal past and would bring peril to his future. is about you. I'm a Mexican writer. Mexican writer. I've done well with Mexican writers. Actually with one Mexican writer. So that pushes a button for me straight away, actually. Um who's been living in Europe for the past decade. And graduated cum Laude with um uh, from Sciences Po Paris. What does that mean? Sciences Po Paris. It obviously means something, but I don't know what it means. Um, And worked in consulting for three years, where I drafted the policy paper on employment and education for the G20, Italy. High-powered stuff. I'm now on leave so I can write full-time, organise a woman's writing circle, very good, and build a career in books. My favourite books have made me uh, feel seen and heard in my struggles while eliciting a laugh or two. I write to make others feel seen too. That's good motivation, and I can tell you, this is going to be an absolute blind of a reading from Mel.
5: The Look in Her Eyes, written by Ariadna, read by Mel. Prologue. It's been ten long years. I'm 37 now, and she would have been 35. Someone has left a bouquet of sunflowers at the foot of her tomb, covering the epitaph. It couldn't be me, because it's the first time I'm visiting her tomb. It's the first time I'm setting foot in London in almost a decade. I'm holding the book in my hands. I don't know if she would have liked it, but I still wish she could have read it while she was alive. But finally, here I am. The beginning, or the end, I'm not sure which. I open the cover and start reading it to her. Chapter 1 Nothingness I woke up at the same time as the day before and the day before that. My watch on the bedside table confirmed what I already knew. A few minutes more, a few minutes less, the hour hand pointed at the same odd number, three o'clock, for the past four years. I massaged my temples to subdue the headache, and my mind took me back to a familiar place, a gloomy, barren field, the sound of hurrying water. A single beam of light off in the distance my hands continued the gentle rubs though experience proved that the battle against the throb was doomed to lose no painkillers could quell it no mystic mindfulness apps could temper it doctors said to mitigate the headaches i should get enough sleep you see the predicament i stretched my arms and legs taking three shallow breaths despite the internet rabbit holes advice as expected it served for absolutely fuck all but going against the recommended guidelines felt good. I sat on the edge of my bed, letting my eyes adjust to the dim moonlight that illuminated the room. Natalie's soft, rhythmic breaths broke the dead silence that reigned. Her usually sleek blonde hair lay messily on the pillow, natural waves already forming at the ends. Her lips were parted, probably from the swell of the filler she'd gotten last week, and a blot of saliva puddled below her mouth. Her sleeping figure was a nice change. She looked relaxed, peaceful. After getting up and having a pee, I washed my face with tepid water. Drops dribbled down my cheeks as I clenched onto the granite, edging closer to the wall-mounted mirror. The image that bounced off was a sequence of blurred-out dots that bore no pattern, no meaning, one of the side effects of mixing a with your daily dinner digestive. Familiar faces kept resurfacing and alternating, flicking like an antique film projector. None appeared to be my face, or perhaps I'd fleetingly seen it and forgotten its miserable owner. An impulse to ram my face into the mirror took over. Maybe that would halt the projector at an image. But I couldn't risk waking up Natalie. I brushed my eyes until the nebula of blurred-out dots dwindled back into a human shape. My reflection in the mirror squinted back at me. The monster greeting me is no stranger. A man with big black circles under his emotionless blue eyes. A man with blood smeared over his lips by virtue of obsessive nibbling. A man with a three-day stubble, soon to be a four-day stubble, if life viciously granted him one more day of existence. That monster knew he couldn't push the memory away for much longer. Even if he hauled his attention back to the present, the freezing touch of the granite counters, the smooth, onyx-paved floor against his bare feet. Natalie's musky fragrance that he'd always loathed. Shrinks no shit, for it always came back to him. It never really died out. Funny choice of words, he lamented, as they twisted one side of the monster's face into a painful grimace and the other into a nervous grin that didn't look much better. His breath started accelerating, fogging the mirror. Heartbeat pounding in his chest, beads of sweat forming on his forehead, He relived it all over again, her oval face plumped by chubby cheeks, her red tainted iris and teeth hewed into sharp fangs, a faceless creature bearing two black holes for eyes and a straight line for a mouth, snickering.
0: Thank you very much, Moll. I always love Moll's uh, narrations. So I just think they're very special. Uh, I have found uh, my button, so I'm going kind to of press that right now. So we we know the state of affairs this month. If you remember, we had an extraordinary uh, second show of the month uh, when uh, Jamie Jamie Moll was on, uh, just just a load of very high-scoring, terrific entries, actually. Um, number two, uh, Sarah Deacon, Transcending Trauma. We all thought that was extraordinary, but it was pipped the post. So far, this month, by Basma Ali, with the outrageous title of Novel One. We loved the title. We just loved that. <laughs> and we loved everything about it, actually. It's a love story mixed with magical realism, if you remember it. I'm sure you do, actually. Said in 1962, uh, the partition of um, uh, East Pakistan, the independence movement and so on. And we just loved it, actually. So that is the number to beat, 78. Let's see if you can do that, Harry Ariadne. Let's have a look at the Genius Room. And Carol says, another title taking off a of popular behind her eyes. There is an allusion to that, definitely, I think. But you know what? Publishers don't mind that because it's the sort of, you know, there's, there's a group comfort there, actually. If something's hugely successful with that sort of title, then perhaps something else will be too. Um, and thank you, CJ, for that. Uh, I think that's accurate in the uh, Genius Room as well. Uh, don't need the title in the blurb, says Mr. Dupre. No, you don't. Vagabond, if it's a criminal and unstable, why would we care if uh, peril is brought to his future? I- I'd be cheering. <laughs> um, Palma Joe brings peril. I've been getting rid of all my hats. Can't help it now. It's hats, past participle. Carol love interesting premise, say more, needs some details. Eva says, title can be easily mistaken for romance. It could be, but, you know, around the <clears throat> packaging and presentation, there's a certain sort of, um, I don't know, it's something slightly menacing about it, actually, which is all right, I think. But Jan says, title's too generic for me. Story's intriguing, but I'd like more details in the book, please? Nice emotive prologue, says Annie, short and sweet. Love the detail about the clock. Ellie uh, Thomas' tomb instead of graves, that on purpose? Or is English not the author's first language? Well, that's that's always possible, actually, yes. But sometimes, you know, it gives you an interesting sort of just slightly off-centred perspective, actually. Uh, Vagabond, so the prologue says, I'm going to tell you a story. Is there a point saying it? Yeah, and then Annie, Annie kind of sums it up, I think, for me uh, so far. It says, even though the writing's nice... It's technically a waking up opening, bit mundane. But I think for me, that's probably nailed it actually, but let's see how Matt feels.
3: Yeah, it was, um, I, I think that the, the look in her eyes, I thought as a title um, is okay. I don't know where you're going with that, but uh, the beginning was interesting. The, the prologue was interesting in a sense, it set me up to think we were getting a, the way the the chapter the first chapter set up. I thought we were getting a diary entry. I just that popped into my head, and I was yeah. completely lost by what, fell, what followed because that's nothing like a diary entry. It, yeah. If so, it's a it's a very anal retentive diary um, diary <laughs> entry. <laughs> I, I'm not sure, and I'm sorry. I'm not intentionally moving like crazy. Um,
0: <laughs> you can't help it. There's
3: I think, I think I'm on a ship. Yeah, I'm on a ship. I love um, with you. Yeah. <laughs> I I thought that, that we there was a lot going on here that we didn't this is like I've used this analogy before but you you're at a restaurant and you're listening to the table conversation next to you and you realize oh I dropped in on this conversation way too early it's they're not they're not to the good bits they're still yes. talking about you know is if the grapefruit was good yes. um Yes, you know, and and yeah. I just felt that there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot going. There's a lot to be told in the story. I mean, by the end, I guess the the guy's a vampire, and we're going to. I think you're right. That. Essentially,
0: <laughs> some yeah. heavy hints there on the yeah, yeah. but I, I
3: we're taking a long time to get there, and it's kind of like the one of the lessons in writing is you know you don't have to show people um, going to the bathroom. We, that just happens. We don't have to, you don't have to show the mundanities of daily life unless the point of the story is the mundanities of daily life. And in this instance, that didn't seem to be the case. And mm. um, I I felt bo- – I didn't feel engaged. Yeah. I was not as engaged as I could be. Yeah, I think there's a story here. I just don't think we got it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I do like the writing. Eva says, the writing is good fictional writing. Coming from Eva, that's something, actually. Uh, it washed over me. I'm sorry to say this to Johnny. Um, Annie, writing's good, not the right place to start. Methinks. Uh, Early Thomas, I don't believe main character only stopped rhyming face into memory because of waking N. Too much detail on minor things and not enough on the big stuff. Mr. Dupre says, I like the prologue. What prologue should be? Um, and Annie goes on to so say, question for the author was the book and the prologue this book? Mm. Nice, nice sort of uh, yeah, self reflective um, thing for us. So if the, is, is the main character writing the book? PC Frontier, I like the title. Another author has already used it. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I think this is a little dull. Uh, a lot of text explaining waking up and getting going in the morning. Um, yeah. Uh, and Yeah. Agreed, LA. Uh, LA says, I think the writer shares a lot of promise, just needs some editing. Annie says, agreed, oh, LA, she can write. And Pamela says, Matt has rock and roll in his soul. He's probably got it everywhere actually, not just in the soul. Let's see what Tiffany thought.
2: So, um, I love the, this is what a prologue should be, because one of my prime directives for prologues is keep that sucker as short as possible. So, that's a great instinct. I was mildly intrigued by it, but I think a prologue needs to feel like an essential setup for a story in some way. And just, I'm reading her a story, didn't really lead me into what was coming if it's a bookend of, you know, what we're reading here is the story she's reading. I don't know that we actually need that unless that framing device is crucial. So I don't know that the prologue is really serving this story more than that. Um, A couple of people already pointed this out, that publishers and agents, Peter, I'm sure you can speak to this. There are a few cliches in writing in openings Mm -hmm. that they see over and over and over. Mm. Uh, Waking up, Mm. dreaming, and looking into a mirror. And we have kind of a trifecta of that here. (laughs) So um,
4: unless
2: unless you're using those for a a particular purpose. Now, what I do think you had here that's really, and again, the writing's very good, as other people said. Mm. And you have this juicy idea of someone who... Appear, I don't know about Natalie, if that's like, if she's aware of the monster, but if she's not and he wakes up next to this woman who he loves, who doesn't know about this side of him, you've got this wonderful built in conflict that could be exploited for a much more, I think, deeply engaging an active opening than just looking in the mirror and then this, this, uh, I think, slightly jarring POV shift from first person to the monster as he, I like the idea of it, but oh. in execution, it felt a little sort of unsettling and it, it didn't yeah. quite, it, it didn't quite convey to me the horror of this animal living oh. inside of you that I think you could
0: harvest. More. Strangeness to it, wasn't there, but there wasn't any horror. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it was mood. It was mood. Yeah, it was mood. It was mood. But uh, fundamentally, I think I think you know this is a writer. Uh, Pamela just says, actually, I just read advice. It's quite interesting. I just read advice to show your characters naked because it makes them real. But obviously, it doesn't always work. Okay, Um, let's look at only in the story that started twelve inches. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Wash your mouth. Wash your mouth. I'm going to make you laugh again now. Look. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you do this all life, because it's just live on YouTube, guys. Don't watch the cats, just look at Matt's big head. I love it. I love it. Let's look at the numbers. You got to fifty five there. Um which is low, actually. I thought it'd be higher because I, I think there is some some good writing hidden there. Uh, I'm just gonna do a quick check to make sure we got a vote from Tiffany and just make sure it's registered it has done. And does it register from Matt? It has done. She got so. high
2: marks as craft.
0: Yeah, that's um, right. Um, I think a I'll lot work. of people did give you high marks for craft. Um yeah. yeah, so you know all I can say is actually um we tell it like it is. And I think everyone feels there is uh, there is a, a writer in there. Um, it's just, it's just not quite working at the moment for reasons you've already found out. I want to see what's going on for Tiffany. Actually, this is Tiffany. Oh my God! Look, it's it's, it's doing things to me. Your website's gone crazy. It's going Matt's hand. Um, I don't know if I can get it back. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. And, and, Tiffany, you look just like your photo.
2: Oh my God. Yes. Here, wait. Where's my coffee?
0: <laughs> I know your yeah, had is kind of normal size and everything, which is just—it's so nice to have normal-sized people on on the show. Um, I want to. Well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I want—I want to ask you a little bit about what you do do, which is you're you're you kind of a muse. You you describe it rather nicely on the website. Let's go back to the website, actually, if I can stop it from uh, from scrolling, which I can do, as a kind of a kind of midwife, which is I think a very nice way to. To put it actually. So Yeah. You must have been present at a lot of uh lot of births. I mean how oh, how babies. many How yeah, exactly. Yeah, how many babies like, have you helped, do you think? Roughly Oh my
2: gosh. I've been doing this since ninety two, so thousands, oh I God. guess.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But the, that's the—that's my whole philosophy as an editor because, we, you know, I always say I didn't make the baby, I'm not going to keep the baby, but I can yeah. help you get that baby out. So I think good yeah. editing helps an author that's deliver, right. sorry to stick with the me- metaphor, their yeah. their artistic vision and their creative vision, and that's our job, is to help figure out what that is and how to get it on the page effectively.
0: Yeah. I've been thinking about this this thing, the relationship between writers and editors, and writers and maybe <laughs> – Sort of pre-editors, maybe the word is midwife. I've been thinking about writing buddies actually. It's interesting actually in screenwriting. It's quite common mm. for writers to um, to have writing buddies. Um, but you're well, like a coach. Um, well, you know, sometimes co-writing, sometimes just you know, just a good relationship with one person, and you 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 send off your first draft, and they'll give you an honest honest reaction to it. It's not so common at all, actually, with prose, with, with novelists and so on. I don't know. I mean, can you suggest any reasons why that might be the case? Is it just, you know, novelists, prose writers tend to be a little more isolated maybe? Or I don't know what.
2: I actually think in recent years there's been an explosion. They call uh, what I hear that called as writing coaches, basically. Mm. And it's people who accompany you throughout the journey of basically drafting your story. And then – um some of them are editorial, but I think a lot of it is accountability and encouragement and helping you flesh out ideas. And like you said, someone to send the pages
0: to who mm. keeps you on track. Yeah. And how, how, how is that's really different to what you do, though, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, an editor, I, I anyway, work with a completely finished draft that is as polished as the author can make it. And yeah. then I'm basically holding up a mirror and reflecting back what's on the page and saying, you know, this is working really well, or this area maybe isn't coming across as strongly as it could or effectively. This may not, is, is this your intention? Because here's what I'm seeing on the page and we we make sure that I call it making the best version of their vision gets on the page. So it's most impactful for readers.
0: But how would you advise writers to go about choosing somebody to work with like that? Hmm.
2: I have a free 13 page guide on my website that I offer. I'll (laughs)
0: I'll
2: get it edited because there are, so I've been doing this long enough that when I first started, there weren't very many freelance editors and now, you know, you can hit a, throw a rock and hit one yeah, totally. and you, yeah. and and buyer beware because there are some really great ones and then there are some who maybe not ready to hang Mm. out a shingle yet. And so you should vet them for qualifications. Uh, They don't necessarily need published titles, but it's great if they do. Check out the titles that they've worked on. See if they Uh have author recommendations. Always get a sample edit. I can't stress that enough. You wouldn't buy a car or a mattress without trying it out. Don't spend thousands of dollars and trust your creative vision to someone unless you see how they work and whether it resonates with you and if you're on the same page with them stylistically. Yeah. And do you think do you think
0: the author has to like the person they're working with?
2: I always, as an editor, I always say I have to fall in love with every manuscript a little bit. So I do think it helps. You at least have to trust them. It's a very weirdly intimate relationship for Isn't two it? people who may it never meet face. Yeah, yeah. So it, it should be somebody that... I think you like their dynamic, you like their vibe, you like the way they work. They don't necessarily need to be your BFF. We're not, Mm. we're not like a writing coach is probably more like your your cheerleader and your pep squad and all that. Your editor, you want someone who's going to give it to you straight, but also in a positive, constructive way that mm. that encourages you to find the best version of your vision rather yeah. than yeah being critical and shutting you down and not offering you know it's great to point out problems but also offer potential solutions.
0: Yeah. So I just a tiny question. It's always intrigued me i I never actually asked you I'm going to ask you now. So the website is foxprinteditorial.com what's with the fox? <laughs> Okay. When I
2: was a kid, my dad called me Fifi the Fox. Oh, now you're all going to call me Fifi. It's all know. coming out. Today, so, right. so I know. So the fox has always been kind of a, I don't know. I just love the animal. My I write fiction under a pen name, and it's Phoebe Fox because it sounds like Fifi the Fox. And I thought, okay, I'll answer to that. That's so I just sweet. went
0: with the. I just went with the we've fox. Just learned something. We've learned something about Matt today. Quite a lot about Matt today, and we've just learned something. About Matt <laughs> look, look. Aren't they gorgeous? Let's look at the next submission. Here we go. Submission number four. This is the title that Tiffany's been looking forward to. All right, Spider! All right, Spider! Yeah. Memoir slash social history It's from David Tyson. This is David's blurb. A view of life in the UK rail industry about my experiences and encounters with a whole host of characters over 41 years. A young lad following his father onto the footplate at the age of 15. Through the years as a driver, union rep, president of Aslef. Wow. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Aslef is the... Is the uh, I don't know if it still is, actually. I think it's been taken out, hasn't it, by Unite or something. Uh, somebody can tell me that. I don't know. But um, Aslef used to be uh, mighty powerful union of railway workers here in the uk and pension director there are many funny toe-curling and serious incidents <clears throat> and scenarios the driver who would bring his shotgun to work it's <laughs> one way of collecting the affairs isn't it and the drunken punch-up between two senior members of ASLEF, a large market of railmen and lay people and commuters too, actually. Yearning for the good old days. What? Yeah. Born August 64, uh, David. then, <coughs> excuse me, moved to Norwich. Oh, I know Norwich. Age four in 69, due to my father's promotion to driver. Your dad and I have driven me. I was commuting to and from Norwich uh, to school six days a week. Uh, <coughs> left school at 15, began on BR, that's British Railways, as a attraction trainee. It is the train drivers' union, says FD. Still alive and kicking. I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. That's, that's very interesting. Um, I, where I uh, became a BR's attraction trainee where I spent seven years before becoming a driver. Then a union rep and pension fund director. Married in 1990. Reside in Horsford, near Norwich. I know Horsford, yeah. I left the union executive to adopt my son in 2005, who's currently studying economics at Lincoln Uni. I left driving in 2019 after illness and later had my left kidney removed. I'm currently being treated for bladder cancer, but in good spirits. Good. I decided to write the book after being encouraged to do so after reminiscing some tales. The pandemic allowed me the time to do so. As It's done with so many people, actually. It's changed many lives. A few for the better, I hope. Uh, I write as I speak. Yes, I like that. That connects with me. You write as you speak. So you should be good, you know, a uh, storyteller. Um, and am with agent Guy Rose. <clears throat> I think that's Re- uh, Futterman Rose, isn't it? F- uh, Rose uh, Futterman. It, next time you speak to him, time is welcome to come on to pop ups. We should get more agents on actually. Um, good. Well, I, all that's very interesting. And what's going to be even better is, I'm delighted to say, we've got the mother of our narrators to narrate your submission. It's Emily.
2: All
6: Right Spider by David. Read by Emily. Introduction. Some time ago, I was sitting at the chiropractors, awaiting my turn to be pulled about due to the back problems I developed after 38 years working on the footplate. These days, I have aches and pains in places that I would have never thought possible as a young man. It is only in the last few years that cab design has actually taken into account the well-being of drivers, so those of us that have put up with poor seating, along with badly designed cab layout, often suffer the consequences in our back, neck, arms and shoulders. This is not a whine. The industry I entered on the 16th of June 1980 was a world away from that of my father, Peter Tyson, who spent his early years in tough conditions, as did his workmates. Long hours, limited time off, extremes of weather, smoke, coal dust, etc. The move to electric and diesel were a progression, but the long-term effects on drivers and second men were not considered. I digress. Back to the chiropractors and my conversation with the manageress. We were talking, or I was, about my 38 years on the railways, having recently retired from the footplate, and the places I had been and many of the things I had done. She looked at me and said. Maybe I should write a book. I dismissed the idea as I know that many books have been written by all different manner of railmen, some informative and others just an eco-trip. I did this and I did that and here are some photographs of me with various well-known high-profile railmen, etc. But for some reason, her comment kept playing on my mind. Why not, I thought. I love reading and over the years I've read so many biographies and autobiographies, mainly by people who interest me rather than some of the celebs who are famous for being famous, and have done very little of actual interest. Many dictated their book to a ghostwriter about a privileged life rather than actually write a book. My life has been one without any real hardship, unlike that of David Pelser who wrote A Child Called It, a book I read prior to the adoption of my son which made me cry. I immediately read both of the follow-up books which also made me cry, or the biographies about the likes of Nelson Mandela, or journalists Marie Colvin and Martha Gellhorn, or President F.D. Roosevelt, To name a few life stories I have read and admired as they have all faced huge challenges in their lives. This book is not all about me. I have tried to capture the flavour of what life was like on the footplate in the 1980s when the railways were suffering from lack of investment and where many of the men I worked with had dedicated a lifetime to the rail industry. They had worked through the tough days of steam and experienced a world war through to the end of my career in 2021 when I finally broke my link with the rail industry after retiring from the role of trustee director of the Railways Pension Scheme. I will recall some of the stories I have been told by colleagues and friends from the Railway family along with my own experiences, some serious like those encountered by Albert Brown, who was involved in fatalities on two consecutive days at the same station, also having to represent drivers in some of their heartbreaking situations to getting a friendly warning for riding my motorbike around the mess room or being chased, caught by the testicles and given a love bite not on my testicles by an older driver. To begin with, though, I would like to put a myth to rest. Not from my personal experience, but from the days of steam that have been romanticised by so many over the years. Being a fireman in the steam days was a tough job with very long hours and back-breaking work, yet a picture has been painted of the driver and fireman working the iron horse on the iron road through all weathers at high speeds, although there is no doubt these men were, at one time, the fastest men on the planet working trains of speeds up to 100 miles per hour
0: let's first, let's see what the genie is saying. Uh, Pamela Joe says, "Bring shotgun to work." That's so unusual, so British. I don't think that's very British. I thought that was more American actually. But who knows? Um, blurb needs some work, says Ali Thomas. Pension director is not selling it to me. Penult- penultimate power is interesting. Uh, my pen name says Johnny will be Hugh Littlefucker. I don't know why. I don't know why Johnny's saying that. You see, this is the thing about the genius room. There is, there is, there is a reason. There is absolute logic there, but it just escapes me. It makes me feel so stupid. Uh, Carol says title can confuse me. Sounds like children's book after reading the blurb. It, there's, there's a touch of the Spider Man there, but no, well, title's all right. I think uh, Pamela Joe don't think the title's right for this book like the blurb though sounds like a fun memoir says eva i think you've sold a copy already there david um title and nickname maybe needs to be train related and pamela joe says make that lord little fecker <laughs> God, dear, dear, dear. what are you talking about Monsieur dupre says toe curling makes me think of something else um not a good opening line says vagabond nice opening voice says johnny Oh, it's a conversational voice and some humour coming through. Nice. That's why I was hoping for, for a possibly even more conversational voice, actually. Like, you know, I can't write, but th- I'm just going to tell you a story. And that can work. It can work. Uh, Vagabond says, so This there's justification for writing it, but not the stuff we want to read. Um, and he says, I like the voice. It's good. I do wonder if that's if this is the right place to start. Maybe better to hook us with an anecdote. I was so hoping for that. Yes. I don't know what a footplate is says L.A. Thomas. It's obvious it's a plate you put your foot on, I suppose. I don't know what it is either. Uh, what's a footplate, says Monsieur Dupre. Stop telling us what we expect in the memoir and start telling your story, says L.A. Thomas. Good advice. Mel, our narrator... Oh, sorry, Mel, uh, well, read the previous one. Um, voice is there, despite some newbie mistakes. Strong potential. I think there's potential. Eva, he should start with the happenings on the plate. And that's right. That's what we want to hear about. It really is... Um, Where's the humor we were promised, says Ally. Other than the testicles joke, there wasn't any. And you could have made more out of that, actually. Uh, PC Frontier says, I suggest starting with a humorous story or even an interesting story. Yes, a limited market, I would think. All oh, right. Let's hear from Matt.
3: Uh, yeah, the genius room nailed it. Um, the We didn't get a story here. We got... Someone and also I'm not sure it's a good idea to open your book by talking by musing about whether or not what you're about to do is worthy of a book. Um, That's not something that really tells readers. Just dig in. It tells readers, well, maybe maybe there's something on the next shelf that would be worth reading. Um, You know, uh, there's a charming voice in here, but we're not getting enough of it. Uh, We don't have. If you open with an anecdote, you open with your best anecdote and give us 700 words of something that's just rollicking, make us yeah. fall down laughing yeah. Yeah. and cry and vomit and you know our heads swell up then it's oh, oh you know it's fine but but what we're getting here is um just a uh, it's it's still keep he continues the theme of is this worth reading i don't know you're going to have to tell me and and i think this is just clearing his throat this is what we use called yeah. clearing his throat in journalism terms and it doesn't. You, it's it's fine to get it out. You have to get it out, but then you have to actually write.
0: Yeah, and this yeah, isn't the you, beginning of
3: the book. Uh, this is yeah. what and, leads to the book.
0: No, you you got to throw it away. I couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah, to yeah, that. yeah. I'm pretty superfluous
2: here. I agree with most everything. I struggled on rating this title because I loved this title. Mm. A lot. <laughs> but mm. then when I saw what the story was about, I'm like, eh, it doesn't really convey anything about this story. No. And it does sound like a children's book title. Yeah. But if that were a children's book, I would read it on the title alone. Yes. Um, it was great. I don't know why it makes me laugh. Everything does today. Uh, then the the verb, I thought there was some good specificity there. There were a couple of mentions of specific stories. But it, it sounded like what I was going to get was maybe an episodic memoir about a bunch of funny stories, which is Mm. fine. If you could suggest in the blurb to us some unifying theme or purpose for the story, I think that might give the reader kind of more reason to plunge into it. Uh, Matt, I think you nailed it. Geniuses, I think you nailed it as far as um, leap right in with some anecdotes. There is, From the very beginning, I liked this voice so much. It Mm. feels genuine. And it makes me want to sit down with this person. But again, you've got some buried treasure here that I think you're not. Maybe um, you're clearing your throat. As Matt said, we don't care why you wrote the book unless it is germane to something about how this book is told or your journey in it. But where you do get is interesting to me at the end, where you talk about the difference between the glamour about riding the rails and the reality of it. So, if you start with an anecdote, maybe that's your theme. Yes. You start with an anecdote that shows that, you know, the, the magnificent and the mundane together, yeah. I think you've really got a winning theme here. And this, as a lot
0: of people said, terrific, engaging voice yeah that's right and martin hello oh there you go we've got our author there nice to have you along david uh first time book feedback very helpful got to get to the point quicker yeah got, that's always the that's the railwayman's motto got to get to the points quicker um so there's a, yeah, I had, a joke but go on
3: I, I had a um a train ride 30 years ago with a um uh a guy who's who, not in a dissimilar, not a similar background, but not a completely dissimilar background. But he's a, a bar. He ran a bar in New York City, and he said, "I want to write a book. How would I do it?" And so I said, well, "Well, tell me about your bar." And he told me about his bar. And it was a mob bar, and so I said, "Well, tell me some of the stories out of your bar." And he started. He just started basically piling bodies up in the corner of the train. <laughs> um, so many mob hits. So many, and I said, "Okay, well, that's how you're going to go. You're just going to start with a mob hit, and then yeah. we're going to go to someone else, and you just keep, just keep yeah. laying, lay, you know, laying the it yeah, laying." Just out, keep laying.
0: It on. It's simple.
3: Yeah. And if we think it's interesting enough, even, I I, I totally agree, Tiffany, the perfect way to write this is to have a theme, but if it's interesting enough, we don't need a theme, who needs a, we don't need no stinking themes. Um, We're going to read as long as you're making us laugh and you're fascinating us.
0: Yeah. Ah, Spider's a nickname reveal in Chapter 3, ah, the big reveal. So the thing is, uh, David, that your agent, uh, Guy Rose, is a sharp character because he, he sees the potential. I, I think, you know, in the UK, there are millions of people who commute to work every day on the trains, every, every, every day. And uh, that's, your, that's not just railway enthusiasts. But, you know, what, what do they want to know? They want to know what happens behind the scenes. Of course they do. Lots of great stories there. So they will read your book. They absolutely will read you. They'll buy your book. It's, you know, I mean, we get professional confessionals all the time in the UK, a very big genre. Uh, Doctors, lawyers, all all professional confessionals. That's the the sub-genre that they're called. This book fits ideally into it. It's a simple thing. It's an easy thing to to sell to a publisher. It ought to do very well. But what we want is what what you've tantalised us with a little bit. You gave us a little bit of a testicle story. We want a bit more. You gave us a shotgun story. We want a lot more of that. So you just go and do that. And um, it should do very well. Let's look at the numbers. You got a 58 there. And hopefully you got lots of good advice. Uh, and as I always say, you just um, do uh, go back, uh, look at the recording, and just freeze frame, and just read everything that the genius drew, and you will not go far wrong. Mm-hmm. Of the month. Let's see how the numbers are looking. Um, it's uh, the biggest score at the moment is a sixty-nine. Uh, very first submission of the day. Uh, from uh, somebody who allegedly calls themselves Flora. but well, The Genius Room still hasn't worked out who you are, actually, which I think is extraordinary. I've got a few more minutes to do. Um, so no one's coming close to the 78 that uh, Basmar got. And that was an exceptional submission, I think. And it may be the monthly winner, but I can't tell for certain until we've seen the final one, which is from Joe. Hello, Joe. I remember, Joe, you sent us a submission to in the past, Joe Boudreau. It's sci-fi thriller, Magical Realism. It's called The Predators of Camelon. And this is Joe's blurb. Just suppose on the colony planet of slaves called Camelon. One slave holds the key to their redemption. But will he trust his masters to fix their problem? The the population is under the complete control of an alien satellite Mm. It broadcasts a series of powerful subliminal programs, and it's called it's called Sky Television. No, that plunges <laughs> the residents into a different reality under each program. It's a bit like the Matrix. It's a form of mass psychosis phenomena that only a few escape. Can they make the fix on time, Joe? I was born... I, rem- I remember your, your, your bio from previous submissions, actually. I was born and raised on PEI, Prince Edward Island, in eastern Canada. I grew up in farming and fishing communities and worked at almost everything, as you have to, of course. I spent four years in the ICAF as a radar technician. I worked at various locations as an operating engineer. I've travelled all over Canada and the US, to England, India and the Caribbean. I've been writing fiction for over 50 years and self-published my historical fiction on PEI, and a small publisher came out with my sci-fi novel, The Dolphin Code, in 2018. I've self-published a sci-fi quintology, but I'm looking for an agent for them. Okay, so wonder why you are, because actually, you know, sci-fi is, is, lends itself very effectively, I think, to um, uh, self-publishing, actually, quite effectively. In fact, last week's guest, wasn't it Robin, in fact, um, did exactly that, and has, has done extremely well. Um, mm, so I, I wonder why you're looking for an agent. I'm in the process of completing my trilogy on PEI. I have a daughter and a son and I'm currently retired and live with my wife in South East Alberta. We've got a very comprehensive overview of your life there. Thank you very much, Joe. I hope you like this wonderful reading. It's going to conclude the month, actually, from... The Predators of Camelon
7: Written by Joe. Read by John. 1. Cunning is the art of concealing our own defects and revealing the witnesses of others. William Hazlitt, Earth Writer. The boy lay in the back seat of his parents' Land Rover and watched the shadow of the lioness pass above him. He had awakened to the sounds of a single shout followed by a single scream and there had also been the sound of some scraping of soil nearby. But Danny Lennox was too young to understand what was going on out on the savannah on the afternoon his father and mother had died. The cat had watched the family from the copse a mile away as they had come out on the afternoons without end, searching for her. If it was possible that a lion could have a negative attitude towards people, then this lioness did. She had contempt for how they exhibited a complete lack of hunting skills when they came into her territory. There was no resorting to the scents in the air, no listening to the signals of other animals in the area, and certainly no visual examining of the movements of grass or of reeds as the lioness passed through them on her patrols, but the lion thought, with these feline emotions and reasonings that were so foreign to the thoughts of other creatures, that people, any people would never be capable of tracking her. The taro weeds and cassava grass through which she moved would never change, but the patterns of her coat would. The cat had learned this only recently by consciously subjecting the very shapes and bandings of her fur to weave in synchronisation to the motions of the grass. She could lay in wait for two hours, planning her ambush, without so much as stirring a whisker. As she stalked, she moved only as the grass moved. As she pounced, it was as if she sprang out of the very earth next to her prey. Her requirement of these skills was at the other end of her memory, but she could not regret having them. She had every advantage. Here on the broad plains that stretched away from the broader connecting alleys of Aden. There was the intimate knowledge she had of each square yard of ground. She could sense the exact kind of weather that would come a day in advance. She had the comfort of her pride, that secretive group of other lands, young and old, related and not related by nerve and blood, and that was the reason she was out here in the first place. She had come to learn the habits of her enemies, the humans, the jackals, the vipers, and she was here to hunt. Her biggest enemies, the humans of the surrounding hamlets and ranches, had none of these advantages over her or her country. They tended to their animals and to their crops, and only came out here out of sheer boredom and curiosity. They could not read the lands like she could. They refused to study the ways of lands, even when they did come out to observe them. But the humans had one piece of leverage over the great pride of lions, and that was their guns. When the lioness had seen the use of gun for the first time, she had witnessed the sudden and violent death of her first mate. It was to her an atrocious thing to be the lord of the plains and the ruler of the grasslands and yet to be struck down by something that looked to her to be a mere straight branch made of shiny wood. But when her partner and another male lion had given chase to human intruders near the lair, the branch in the hands of one of the humans had shouted loudly at them. From her hiding place the lioness had heard the sound, like a pop of a gatling tree in the desert heat, and one of the males had fallen and quivered from the wound the lioness could not determine. Surely...
0: Thank you very much, Johnny. You've ended um, a very strong month, actually, with a, a great reading, uh, which is what you always do. Um, did assume, Oh, too much lion. <laughs> There's a lot of lion in that, wasn't there? Yes. I like lions myself, but there was a lot of lion. Uh, Lex says, so yeah, this is the beginning, right? So Lex says, so it's Spartacus crossed with the Matrix. Let's laughing go you've got lex excited when lex is exciting that's it's always a good thing i dropped the questions from the blurb it says annie uh tell us who uh, uh why and stakes uh blood needs work says premise is interesting carol blurb's too vague are the slaves doing bad things Thus needing redemption versus liberation trim that blurb says vagabond it's a wee bit too busy um And Carol also says, spell out Prince Edward Island uh, at least first time for us non-Canadians. Title's a bit prosaic, says Pamela. Slaves have more than a problem. Uh, You're letting go of the tension. There's just a lot of stories about uh, the slave rebellion. Can you take your colonel idea and push it to new levels? And uh, Carol says, drop the had usage. Take the immediacy away. It takes the immediacy away. I like the first paragraph, says James. Barbara presentation needs work several people comment on that it's 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 a very tight presentation there i did a free video on youtube on uh just for 10 minutes so it might be worth looking at actually about how to present stuff you, you send into to agents um and it, it it does matter and he says try changing the line spacing to 1.5 or 2 that'll be easier to read doesn't begin with the story says pamela why are we on about a lion it's written gorgeously but where's the story and from youtube for something as terrifying as a lion hunting a human it feels quite distancing says zero and meandering too much lion says clay just seen that annie uh, annie says and so the age-old question is this a prologue is it indeed tiffany
2: oh who can say um mm. i don't know actually i Maybe because one of my overarching comments was something a couple of the geniuses, and I think you just said, Peter, which is this blurb doesn't really feel like it's delivering or the passage doesn't feel like it's delivering what the blurb promised mm. even in the even in the genre i did i mean this didn't feel to me like the genre that we were told, and um, the blurb itself was a little confusing. Somebody said that in the genius room. There there were a lot of elements there. There were, first of all, someone questioned whether the slaves have a problem. I questioned whether they need redemption. So, I don't know what any of that means. Um, and then I didn't, and then we were on to alien satellites, and then we were on to alternate realities. And I, and I couldn't, I didn't know what the story was about based on the blurb. I knew even less based on the passage. I think the writing here is very nice, but it's a little, confusing again for example you start with this interesting idea of a boy hearing his parents killed you guys all have the juice in these in these submissions but then you kind of veer away from them a little and here we go on to what a lot of people pointed out felt like a little too much focus on the lion especially after we're told if the lion had higher reasoning basically she might Mm. think this and then we have a whole page of what the lion would think so is this a book about this lion and if not why are we spending this much time, especially after you had such a strong setup with this boy's parents being killed? But even yeah. a, even with that, tie it into what we are led to believe this story is about from the title and the blurb.
0: Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree. I mean, couldn't disagree. Of course, I always agree with Tiffany Evans above.
3: No, I mean, clearly Tiffany's analysis is money on this. It's, it's, we get this sci-fi blurb we're heading into a sci-fi book. It opens with uh, a young kid listening to his parents be killed by a lion. And then we're kind of into the lion's head and we're listening to what the lion might think of modern technology. And he drifts between, you know, thinking guns are sticks to, you know, questioning basic, you know, geosocial economic policy. I, I, i don't <laughs> I don't know that we're I'm not being drawn in by this um well, that's I, I, quite an interesting lion
0: actually I mean yeah
3: <laughs> he's a hell of a lion, yes, the lion isn't a yes. lion, yes, but um no I, I think that we i think that uh, Tiffany was exactly right, and that the genes firm is exactly right We don't really get what the story is about the based on the blurb, the story yeah. is confusing, yeah. And if you're going to do this, and you open up, and this is the the hero, and his, this is how he becomes a loner, his parents are killed by a lion, and you know if this is the beginning, then get that over with fast. Doesn't you don't just, if you don't get 700 words to kill off the kid's parents, you get 120, yeah. and then yeah. we're back, and then all of a sudden you know we're in sci-fi dystopia land. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and it, it's also a disconnect between dystopia and. Um, wildlife refuge, which seems to me is closer to a utopia, but yeah, um, uh, yeah. So okay, and so, oh, I will say this: I thought that one thing I really liked. One one thing I really liked in this, he identifies the author that he's quoting at the top of it as an Earth writer. That's I really love that. fun. I love
0: that. Yeah, that's, that was
3: that's, the only sci-fi yeah. element of
0: it. It was, and I liked it.
2: And good blur. That was a good uh, epigram yeah. as well. I thought it yeah. intriguing. Uh, yeah, I want to yeah. know
0: that. I'm, I'm reading A.G. Riddle at the moment, who's an interesting, hugely successful sci-fi writer. And um, interestingly, I th- he 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 made his a name, reputation, and fortune, I think, actually, uh, entirely self-publishing. And now he's with Head of Zeus, which is quite interesting. Uh, it does happen sometimes when you get... Uh, uh, it's going to happen increasingly, and, I think. Actually, that uh, people cross over from um, successful self-publishing to to traditional publishing. Also, um, we'll oh, so can but I make
3: one more point? Yeah, of course. In the in the blurb, we open up with "just suppose." Um, no, this is fiction. The this is kind of the, the, the this is the where we are. The bedrock of fiction is "just suppose." You don't have to tell us to "just suppose," so that <laughs> kind of throws us off.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I just I just want to say actually, Joe. I, I look at some AG Riddle stuff actually, because it's he, he he what he does is very transparent. It's very 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 simple. Um, it's very simple structurally. Everything about it is simple, and it just works a treat. Doesn't have you don't have to overcomplicate things. Uh, we've got some numbers in. Let's look at your numbers. You got a fifty-seven there. So. I think we know who's going to win the month, but let's sort of, let's look at the scorecard so far. The end of the show. It's yeah, it's our first submission of the of the day uh, from somebody who allegedly calls themselves. <coughs> excuse me, Flora. You actually oh, show winner. Oh, whatever your name is, to see what the genius rumours decoded so far. Congratulations. It makes no difference at all to a rather towering monthly winner. As my we all just were in awe of that submission, and you are, of course, our monthly winner, Basmar. It's really good title, really good submission. It deserves to do incredibly well. We're going to get it straight off to uh, Head of Zeus for their reaction. Yes, all right, Flora. <laughs> well, well done. You won the show. And I think, actually, you might have... Let's have a look at the Genius Stream. You might have defeated them, actually, because I, I, I don't think anyone's actually decoded your name. So you've probably got an incredibly difficult name. Or you were lying. I hear novelists do do that sometimes. They invent things. Shameful, but they do. A final look at Matt's head. Part of it. Yes. (laughs) Part. Not all of it, but part of it. It's a lovely head. If you want more of Matt's head, guys, why don't you join us? (laughs) <laughs> i don't can 't say next week, but quite soon, actually, and of course, if you want more of Tiffany, you know uh, you know how to go to the website now because you've got this wonderful mnemonic of how Tiffany got that now and um, thank you guys, thank you particularly, Matt actually, for stepping in literally at the last second because we had a technical problem with uh, our other guest, and Matt gallantly stepped in so otherwise it literally wouldn't have been a show because the format totally depends on on having two guests, so thank you very much for the from the bottom of our heart, man I'm sorry about all the mocking you've had to. Put up with Aye. about the size of your Aye. head, but it is very A lot big. Of it's come
3: from me, I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks, guys. <laughs> See you next week. Take care. Bye.